the Silver Voices Project, which allowed for digitization and sharing of this archival audio, was made possible by a grant from the U.S. Institute of Museum and Library Services, grant number MA 30190681198119. The views, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed in this audio do not necessarily represent those of the Institute of Museum and Library Services. This is Tuesday, February 21st, 
photography had come in early enough that the whole pattern of, of, of uh, increases of, uh, of salaries and so forth sort of hadn't caught up with them. Places like this act on a very slow take. And, uh, and the result was that that whole crew, I discovered, were pretty well underpaid. Mm. And I started a campaign of trying to bring through a series of steps. Of course, I came to it just as the university was in the late 60s running out of the great epoch of money. You know, the, the 50s were boom, dead. Was the, to boom, taper. the boom had tapered rather sharply. Nevertheless, this made me acute to, uh, and, and, and in order to champion with the deans, I did a little bit of homework on, on all of these people and their background. And that's when I discovered what an incredible reputation uh, Henry had. I mean, you know, anybody uh, outside, the university. outside the university with people who had studied with him, with people who hadn't studied with him, with, with you know, just down the line, this incredible uh, reputation. <coughs> um, Jerry Wilson, for example, at some point I had to talk to him. Lord, who's the man in, um, uh, is it Colorado in the southwest? He's a head of it. He's a photographer and he's a head of a department down there. Um, not fourth. No. You mean Jack Pardon? Jack Wellpott in California? Not, no, it isn't Wellpott, although he was included. Fourth, of course, at one point, Stewart, Henry and Jack I worked Stewart. to try to get here unsuccessfully, in the sense that we couldn't convince the deans that someone of course advanced stage of career could be could be afforded. I mean, that was that was a battle that we lost in, in this thing. Pardon me, was the person you're thinking of Jack Stuhler? No. No, no, no. He's the head of the department, and I don't know that he, I mean, he does teach photography. Uh, blanking out. Like somewhere like Colorado, Nebraska, that kind no, of region? No, sort of more southwest, Colorado, New Mexico. Arizona, not Alan Dutton. No, 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 no. Not being much help. And Darren Coke. Oh, Coke. Oh. Coke, okay. And I hope that you're including Coke in this, because he knows a good deal about Henry's background. I mean, you know, Coke's a little harder to get to, unfortunately, but... Uh, yeah, it might even work to do a, a, a tape telephone thing, you know, a brief one. Actually, Coke will probably be at the SBE meeting. And uh, then... Yeah, but, right, to call him. Um, other colleague types who knew about Henry, I mean, ones that I knew, um, like, um, uh, boy, am I bad on names this morning. The, um, the chap at Iowa, Schultz. John Schultz. John Schultz, who, of course, almost invented photography since he had no particular background in it. There was nothing going there. He started out in design, saw the importance of photography, and built a program from scratch. I was at Iowa during the early years that he was working on that and saw it happening. But, um, and there were times when, when, when Henry could get sort of a few significant people here, scrounge a buck to get someone in for a special lecture crit or that sort of thing. Uh, but it was really pretty much a hand-to-mouth, scrounging kind of approach, uh, out of which he built, overbuilt at first, I would say. So that I think it was, you know, either 68 or 69 that, that we had, Henry and I, a long talk, and I realized that he was far overextended in terms of his own energies and his own career patterns. And um, I argued or insisted or supported, I mean, you know, the pattern, I don't know, I'm not taking credit for it because mm -hmm. it obviously was Henry's decision, but to rethink and move a, a very sharp step back. The point was we had been trying to get a second person in that area. I had been successful to get getting a second person in, uh, in um, uh, printmaking. Uh, I was working on uh, on, on the other areas that, that needed it, but particularly with Henry. And um, I had been unsuccessful. I mean, I simply could not scrounge money enough for, for a, an assistant. So we took the other choice, which was to step way back. And for a moment, he gave up all but a couple of graduate students who served as 
teaching assistants cut back on the undergraduate load in order to sort of take a deep breath and rethink. And I put it, I hope not inaccurately, uh, to that sort of decision on his part with my nudging and other people certainly nudging. Uh, but as chairman, I backed the decision that he cut back on it because it meant all the idiot things like you lose number count and all that sort of thing. But to um, to get that, that that he really started, I think, a serious reworking himself, personal. Mm. You know, I mean, if you start looking, it's the late '60s when he when he gets back with it after a period of of, of over teaching, teaching far too many people. Going back to doing his own. Going back work. to doing his own work. So you'll get a break pattern that takes place. Things that were begun in the 50s pick up in 67, 68. Mm -hmm. I think one of the reasons for it was his decision, which we could get support for, to, uh, to step back from uh, the enormous overload of teaching. He got so committed to students that he was handling classes of 90 students for God's sake. Just an incredible mm -hmm. kind of load pattern with nothing but a couple of graduate assistants to help in the dark room sort of thing. Henry also had some health problems, right, in that period before you came, didn't he, with his eyes and so on? Uh, yeah. Probably didn't help out that situation at all. No, it didn't. And I think one of the things was that with the, uh, with the um, um, uh, eye thing, to a certain extent, there was a, um, uh, a continuing to teach as, you know, the greatest available reward. He does enjoy teaching. He is absolutely marvelous. There are just incredible anecdotes, you know. Remember once a story I heard someone reporting that they overheard in the hall. A student came up to Henry with a question and inadvertently touched one of Henry's many raw nerves about this, I don't know what, aesthetics, techniques, something, whatever it was. Right in the middle of the hall, Henry gave a lecture, vehement lecture, about the thing that the student had done, which was, quotes, wrong, you see. And he finished this thing with the student, you know, looking like a cartoon figure, a limp heap on the floor. And as he walked away, he looked back over his shoulder and said, nothing personal, you understand. He wasn't aiming at the student, he was aiming at a whole philosophical thing, you know. But the point was that that sense of, of you know, even in his most violent fits of, of, uh, of, of uh, philosophical uh, kind of protest was always um, <coughs> um, essentially aware of, of, of the student, aware of his audience, that kind of thing. Um, his politics tended to be left issue at, at the critical late years of the 60s, you know. Uh, he was one of the, uh, uh, one of the well, in the, in the department that voted unanimously with the faculty to support the student strike, which was unthought of on this campus. Henry was obviously with it, I mean, in, in, in that sense. Um, he, um, uh, <coughs> you know, extremely strong uh, opinions that ranged from uh, aesthetics to what is photography as an art, what is permissible in terms of techniques, and a real sense of championing lost or nearly lost techniques, die print things and stuff like this that nobody had done. He was, you know, and nobody gum really printing and this, he was one of the people behind that yeah, renaissance of that. The, the, very much so. In fact, I'm, you know, from a slightly warped point of view, I figure he was the man behind it in the sense that he did more using it as a classroom technique and therefore testing out its edges, you see, getting students to do it. Because there were points where, you know, a whole semester students would be working with, uh, advanced students would be working with gum prints. Nearly all of the MFAs had gum prints as part of their, their training. There was a systematic look at lost techniques, of which that was a major one during 67, 68, as I recall. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> during the time that you were chairman, you were associated with did you have much, uh, knowledge of 
the way he structured this is classic. And just said he, he, he reintroduced old techniques, but you know, so the actual uh, kinds of things that would go on in the classroom. Uh, no. In other words, I never sat in on any classes because what I usually got stuck with was the problems of um, the equipment or, you know, or, or the mechanics of, of having TAs and that sort of thing. I think if you could find TAs of that period, you could get a direct insight rather yeah, than Yeah, we have talked twice removed. with yeah. uh, Conrad Pressman, who was ah, okay, yeah. you know, at some length on the subject, and he's got quite, of course, mm -hmm. he's kept up with Henry and got very good uh, yeah. things to say about that. Yeah. Um, I had a question. Given that Henry is kind of a curmudgeon is a pretty good word um, for him. Marvelous curmudgeon. Did he, Devil's uh, advocate. Yeah. <laughs> did he have trouble with, I mean, were there faculty members who couldn't couldn't take it? I mean, it, uh, I wonder, I'm sensing that he was perhaps somewhat isolated, maybe even in the faculty. Uh, he, um, yeah. Well, he did. In, 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 uh, I don't know that there were open battles. I mean, he always felt that the painters got the best. The painters got the best. Huh. I mean, and this was probably true because Henry Hope was essentially uh, of the school, which thought that you know the core of an art department was um, some history, but a lot of painting and sculpture, and that was Henry's original building base. Henry Hope. Hope, yeah. And um, Hope uh, was, uh, uh, I think, rather at fault in the loose sense of the word. Uh, not because he didn't champion them, because he kept Henry. Henry would go in and scream at him. He still made, you know, in the days when he could have, uh, you know, uh, in a very autocratic way thrown Henry out, he didn't. He didn't, uh, you know, he didn't stop pottery. He didn't stop any of these things, even during the relatively bad years of the, um, uh, before the, you know, before, before, the, before the boom, so to speak. And, uh, but he did, he did keep them. But they were, they felt they were, I think, second-class citizens uh, in, in, in the department. And they resented it, and therefore, for example, I'm sure that this was the basis of uh, a kind of scratchiness that existed between Henry and the painters. Henry felt always that the painters got anything and everything they asked for. The painters, of course, completely outnumbered him. And, I mean, he was he was alone, and there were I had forgotten other four or five painters. He felt this was an out of balance sort of thing. He knew that if the, there was a threat that the painters were going to lose uh, a faculty member because of a budget cut that they'd ri raise up in arms and you know carry on like mad about it. But if, if there was a chance to support him in getting a second person at no loss to them, he felt he wasn't going to get support. I mean, he got at times he, he got you know very very paranoid almost about the fact that he was running a lonely battle. Yeah, he really was. And, and he was. An outpost of civilization and, relative and to photography. With, with, with respect to photography, that's true. Now, during those things, he also had a slightly self-defeatist approach at times. Mm. Because I, when I first, shortly after I got here, and I think before I was chairman, if I recall, uh, with reasonable accuracy, I had uh, heard Henry give a lecture, which was terrific. You know, and I realized there were all sorts of things in that. And it, that was the point where foundations, you know, it was before the uh, National Endowment of Humanities and Arts, but um, it was at a point where um, there were monies in Carnegie or in uh, Ford, this sort of thing. And, and I volunteered with Henry that if he would write it up, I would try to put it in foundation ease, being at that point an advisor to it, you know, you know, or on committees and stuff at foundations, and, and try to push it. And I could never get him to come up with the the basic document. There was a sense in which he was always dealing with the immediacies of student needs or the immediacies of, of darkroom needs and, and couldn't bring himself ultimately to do it. And I would have done it, but I couldn't start from scratch. It had to be his words that were right. then 
shaped, as it were. Yes. And I tried that several times with him. I mean, you know, every couple of years I'd nag him again, and every couple of years he'd get excited and say yes, and then I wouldn't hear anymore about it. So there yeah. was a there was a point at which there was almost a built-in uh, um, backing off from avenues because you know my 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 basic point to Henry was that if you go through this, all you've done is clarify your thoughts anyway, and, and the worst they can do is say no, right. but they can't say yes unless you ask. That sort of standard argument cut no ice with, with, with him at all at that point. Yeah, that seems to be a, a pattern with Henry. I, mm -hmm. I don't fully understand why. Yeah, I'm sure that I'm not saying anything you haven't heard. In, 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 but, in, well, this particular aspect of it is just a, another, which is, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. makes it that much more uh, clear. The, uh, I'm wondering if, uh, well, to change the topic slightly, and maybe some of these same things apply in terms of Henry's own work. Yeah. Um, it seems like uh, that maybe even is a factor there in the sense that Henry's work seems to me to be of a type that uh, could really have been put across in a public sense if he. Yeah, I agree. Did that? If he could have done that? Yeah. You know? If if he if he'd been a better um, uh, press agent or something, the um, one of the things about his work that I found fascinating. Uh, was that, you know, he almost wallowed in the fact that what he was doing was the antithesis of, say, the Museum of Modern Art's concept of photography. I mean, mm -hmm. both technically and, and, and in, in image terms, he was dealing with more than the sun image, so to speak. He was dealing with all of these other, you know, the caro syrup and God knows what else, you see. But this was the sort of thing that he knew and sort of, um, I think it was out of as much as anything out of his uh, uh, Bauhaus-related background that this sort of yeah. stuff came through. But uh, he then sort of gloried in it, or almost masochistically, you know, at the point that there was no way in which he was he, he would argue that they were missing the point. Yeah. Uh, but that would be a classroom or an academic argument. It was never an argument that was sort of made in the context where he could get more shows or get the you know the sort of publicity that. Uh, Never put his renegade quality even to work for him. In a yeah, sense. yeah, yeah. Um, I think his renegade quality made him a superb teacher, and that's probably the major role that I saw him working in in the years here. But the last few years, beginning perhaps in 71, 72, he started systematically. When was his show? I forgot. 73. 73, so it was probably two years before that. He started systematically going through all of his files. Every once in a while, I'd be walking down the hall and Henry would drag me in to show me a group of things he found tucked away in some file someplace mm -hmm. that were, and, and he was, he had kept really an amazing amount of his, uh, of his early stuff. Uh, you know, I mean, he had the first photograph he'd ever taken, a snapshot sort mm -hmm. of thing, you know. He had drawings that he'd done, you know, uh, fairly early on. Yeah, what, what is your and, personal, just to diverge, digress yeah. for a second on the drawing, what's your personal feeling about the relationship of the drawings to all the other things? Or what construction did Henry seem to put on that? Beyond Nostalgic at that point. Uh -huh. I mean, they, they, in fact, the drawings he was showing me were sort of pre-Bauhaus stuff. Mm. You know, they were very early, and they were sort of, my God, look what I found. It's from you know the uh, days of Augustus Caesar kind yeah. of thing. And I don't think at that point he was putting. He was really astonished to find that they and they weren't bad. They were very young drawings. You know, they were, they were very uh, uh, immature considering what Henry. Uh, ultimately, did they, they, you know? It would be hard for anybody stumbling over those somewhere to, to anticipate you know anything later. Uh, unlike the classic instance of Picasso's early drawings, which show a certain kind of um, art world fix, you know, this sort of thing. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and but the curious thing is that Henry is just 
old enough, older enough than, than, than I am, that I knew what he was in hit, what, what he was being hit with, what art teachers were doing in the late, in the 30s. Okay, I was at the very end of that. I, I had a year of art school before I got drafted, sort of thing. And, and in the Midwest, in that period, the general sense of the art school was a rather peculiar kind of thing. It was the tag end of regionalism, which even if you were being told or shown, you know, Picasso or Cezanne or any of the foreign things, there was still a strong sense of regionalism present. And there were a number of uh, painters who had, I think, an out-of-balance uh, fame that were semi-cartoon paintings. In other words, they were carefully done paintings, meticulously done paintings, but which the subject matter, uh, like Gropper and others, turned out to be, you know, sort of editorial uh -huh. almost, okay? And there were quite a number of these, and quite a number of them in the Midwest, in Chicago, Milwaukee area, when he was in Chicago. And his early drawings are of that feel. I mean, I, I, you know, I immediately identified with stuff that I had seen when I went in as a freshman, you know, that this was the kind of thing that he was doing sort of pre-Bauhaus. Um, the Bauhaus at that point had a very fascinating reputation because as a freshman at um, what was then Milwaukee State Teachers College, um, we did a day trip to Chicago to visit the new Bauhaus, to no, visit Mahoney. This, this has to have been like 1940, plus or minus, you know, six months or eight. You would have drafted in 41 sometime? Uh, yeah, I would 42 probably, but this, so this was either spring term of, of 39, 40, or fall term of following year kind okay. of thing, just about the, just about Pearl Harbor in any way. Yeah. But we, uh, and I think it was before Pearl Harbor because of the sense of upset that came with that, I don't associate with this trip to the Bauhaus. Uh, but we went to the Bauhaus and saw all of the stuff that they were doing at the time, including their photographic section. Now, I may have met Henry, for God's sake, at that point. He I think was he, he, there. He, he was just there the first year and it, when it was the new Bauhaus. And when it yeah. reopened as the School of Design the following year, Henry was not there. Mm -hmm. So it may have been that Henry had just... Well, Henry and I out. tried to sort out, and I couldn't be precise when I'd been there, and, although he could be precise when he had. But uh, it was very much the, the, the sort of atmosphere then, the one that I saw functioning there, and it, it kept a sort of weather eye on because I met Bauhaus people, I ultimately studied with one in New York, Molson. Uh, but I could see that quality in, in Henry's later stuff and um, his enormous respect for Maholi and, uh, in, 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 you know, as, as, a, as a bringer of, 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 of what? the gospel. I mean, it was almost that kind of a thing at times. It was kind of an integrating yeah. awareness. Uh, yeah, but it was, it was um, you know, and I, I very much can see how that happened to, to someone of Henry's age and disposition, because at that point, we, the, 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 uh, um, the security of, um, of uh, regionalism was gone. I mean, you know, the, uh, the, the, the authority that regionalism had had in the mid-30s was lost by the end of that, by, by the end of the 30s. And, and there was nothing, I mean, the only thing to replace it was stuff like post-impressionism, which was already gone. There was nothing, there was no light, you know. And, and, and uh, the Bauhaus was the closest to that school of design as it, you know, as it became, that pattern in the Midwest was a very strange sort of thing. But these people were scattered all over. They weren't a single voice, it wasn't just Maholi. There was three or four people in New York teaching or doing design and this sort of thing. So there was a, a series of touch points that this mm -hmm. was happening. All of them having something to do with photography. Right, and there was a progressive education movement which I think began to latch on to mm -hmm. some of these ideas. And be a, mm -hmm. I don't know if Henry was involved with that. I have a clue about uh, that, yeah. I know some of the other people who came to the Bauhaus were you know, 
came through that, that channel. Yeah. And I was wondering if uh, you were aware uh, whether some of this information in terms of the Bauhaus uh, Henry had considerably before 1937. I do not know. I don't have a clue what, what information he came to the Bauhaus with, you know. Because what I got were um, reminiscences about the Bauhaus. Once he knew I'd seen it, I'd actually physically been in the building on whatever it was, Ontario Street, yeah, and, and had met Mahoney and listened to him as, as a green freshman sort of thing. Why There would be moments where he would sort of throw asides, but the asides were always based on the Bauhaus rather than anything that he had brought to the Bauhaus. Did he ever um, mention uh, Godwin Felix Pant, who was the editor of Design Magazine? Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Remember, a lot of these things I'm trying to right. scrounge up now are throwaways and conversations about something else. Right, and, right. Uh, little asides, little homilies, little embroideries. Yeah, exactly. Um, we saw a drawing in Louisville uh, uh, as part of that traveling show that they did in uh, mm -hmm. Louisville. That, um, well, it was a watercolor, sort of a cartoonish in the row kind of a, kind of a thing. And in the back of it, there was what looked like a, uh, well, the closest thing it looked to was uh, like a Paul Clay drawing, mm -hmm. kind of a, mm -hmm. you know, connected yeah. line sort of a, sort of a thing, and, um, and I guess that would, that would probably place that as a post-Bauhaus kind of a, kind of a thing. I wonder if you, how much of Henry's drawing you ever saw. For that well, matter. the ones I saw, which I thought were pre-Bauhaus, tended to be a little bit, uh, as I say, cartoonish, but with a bit of sort of surrealism. It was as though somewhere there was an input with surrealism that is, you know, I thought was pre-Bauhaus. Mm -hmm. Okay. And uh, uh, but Clay, of course, would be Bauhaus, or would have been reinforced by uh, yeah. anything out of the Bauhaus. You know, uh, some of those rounded forms that he does later uh, are, are Schlemmer-like again, you know, the Bauhaus feel to the you know, touch. Uh, yeah. um, in terms of you, Howard was asking about his publication. In terms of other things, he did he not, uh, as I understand it, do. Um, some kind of editorial work on an ongoing basis for the, the art journal? Yes, he I did. That seems uh, kind of unlikely in some respects. The art journal, uh, I'm not sure how much he did it. I mean, you know, exactly. Um, he certainly was associated with it for a great many years as a sort of, uh, well, again, it was because Henry Hope was the uh, editor. And I think Henry conned him into it. I mean, you know, it was the sort of thing that uh, yeah, the days when, when Henry first came. Uh, Henry. Henry Hope. All right. Henry's always Henry Hope. Okay. Okay. Uh, uh, this is Henry in the reminiscences of people around with. Uh -huh. But um, uh, Henry Hope came, um, was brought by uh, 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 a man who was president of this place for about 25 years, Herman Wells, and uh, uh, to build an art department where there had been like, you know, two people while he was given, I mean, he was one of them, maybe he was the third one, but there was like one person for painting and there had been, you know, somebody in art history, uh, but gradually he built it up to, to roughly a 30-man department, okay, and, and I'm not sure the exact time, but it was roughly in, in, in 25 years, okay, ending in the mid-60s, which would have made him, what, 19, uh, God, okay. Uh, I'm not sure what year he came. Right. Well, but he was here for 25 years doing this. But in this, he was also rather a um, martinet. I mean, he was given the sort of thing that he ran the department literally out of a notebook 
you know, writing little notes and putting them in people's mailboxes. Uh, very much a co-opting kind of approach. I mean, that's a word that I don't think was popular then. It's one that's come in since. But it was the idea when he needed something, he went out in the hall, and if you happened to be the first one by, you were it kind of thing. But when he found out people had any particular talents, he was a great user of them, perhaps even a misuser of them. And this is what he did to Henry, in effect. For years, Henry ran, uh, you know, did, did the slave labor for the art journal. Henry did the editing, all right, and, and the selecting and that sort of thing. And, and as far as I know, um, uh, 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 yeah, uh, Smith did, did everything else, you see. And, uh, but, I mean, I may be exaggerating, but I got the impression that it was years he simply could not get off the hook. This was sort of like part of his job, you see. Now, the same kind of thing happened, and, and just to give you an instance of how it worked here, the same kind of thing happened with the um, uh, man now retired who uh, was, was the ceramist, uh, Carl Martz. And Martz? Martz, yeah, yeah. But Carl was over there, and for years he taught with great difficulty and, and much too much of personal time loss, a popular course, a course for you know faculty wives, for students, evening mm. course, okay. And uh, when we were looking over the, um, the programming, uh, I thought he'd done this by choice, I'd assumed it, okay. And when we were looking over the programming shortly after I became chairman, I started, you know, questioning all the patterns that existed. And I said, well, you know, if you gave up the evening course, figuring, no, this was his, this was one of his enjoyments sort of thing. Uh -huh. And his reaction was, God, you mean I can, you know. He'd been, in, to all intents and purposes, he'd been expected to teach that course because it made the department popular with faculty on campus or something like that. It was a political kind of ploy that he'd been doing for years because Henry decided this was something, Henry Hope decided that this was something that, that, that needed to be done. And Hope worked on that base. I mean, he was very much, uh, um, a, a benevolent despot, you know, because right. that's the way things were. The, the uh, music department was built that way here to a lesser extent. The theater department. And it probably was good. And that's a matter. And that's a matter. A yeah, that's a matter of, of, of a generational thing too, because it was exactly the same in, in those same years of the 30s and 40s and early 50s at um, at Iowa, where I got my doctorate. But it was exactly the same thing. The history of the arts and that was again the idea. You selected somebody who was a power force or whatever, uh, and, and said, go ahead, you see, and gave them sort of carte blanche. Mm. And they became, you know, semi-divine in their own <laughs> way, you know. Uh, uh, the, uh, uh, the head of music here, now retired, Bain, the head of uh, music at Iowa, very analogous. Sort of it's role. kind of a corporate uh, it, it, way it, of proceeding. Yeah, <laughs> but it was, it was as though the university system, some point, like 1930, decided it was time for culture in, in, the, in the Midwest colleges. And the thing to do was you go out and got somebody who was trained in the right place, like Henry was trained in the East as an art historian. And once you knew he could tick, you gave him a great deal of authority. And it probably has something to do, uh, as a aside, another aside here, with uh, why there are places like Paul Sachs' classes around 1927 consisted of you know 10 or 12 people, all of whom became very important in the mm -hmm. museum field mm -hmm. or whatever mm -hmm. aspect they went mm -hmm. into. Mm -hmm. It sounds like that's this yeah. is the other part of that story. It's, you know? it's, it's the other side of the coin. It's exactly the same kind of background that Longman, who set up the program in, in Iowa, and the art department in Iowa came out. I mean, and they also, they all, they did. They all, I think they all saw themselves as, um, um, without any cynicism involved in all of this, but they saw themselves as uh, um, um, Medici's or something. You know? In other words, they they had the authority, they had the basic budget, and they could build an academy of, of sorts. Only the word academy was dirty at that point. Academy right. referred to the bad art of the 19th century. You know? sure. But, uh, you know, 
it was a kind of, uh, and, and that's the, you know, the generation of the Karl Marxes and, 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 and the Henry Smiths, yeah. Yeah, it seems from, from some reports that Henry was really pretty pretty uh, bitter, really, about teaching by the time he finally stopped, that he was uh, really burned out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, one of the great sparks near the end was uh, when Reg came in, because he finally got somebody. And um, in fact, technically, I think it was, was after I stopped being chairman. I can't remember what year we Reg right came in. Right in that period but after. Just, just, just at the end of it, you know, where, where, where uh, we'd been fighting for it and, and it came through, but um, I can't remember whether technically I hired Reg or not in my last gasp as chairman, but it was right at that point because one of the things I knew about was that, uh, <coughs> I was aware of, was Henry's excitement at the possibility, A, of having somebody else, but B, being able to teach without the, uh, what, the, the incredible uh, way in which his life had been run for all these years by the dark room. In other words, in, by working out that this uh, blueprint technique that could be done in some light, and, you know, this whole technique, without having to, you know, schedule classes against dark rooms, without the dark room suddenly running, the scheduling of the dark yeah. rooms being his life schedule pattern. Is know? that still being used, you know? And the I think thing? they're still using it. I mean, they still have the basic setups down there. And I, uh, walk by, it seems to me. But it, and, it, and it was, you know, I mean, the basic point was how do you, you know, with a light system make a mark and what you can do with a mark. So one of Reg's famous comments that Henry quoted with great glee was that, uh, you know, this was a way of bypassing the, the Japanese uh, uh, chrome and neon lit system of, 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 of objects, cameras, you know, that you didn't get tied to a camera as, as, as a, uh, a slave to the mechanics of the camera, that you, you, you became aware of of the image, you know, separate from the camera or without the camera as, uh, as other than a tool, not the camera as an end, you know. And um, so that um, uh, the, uh, he was delighted with that. It turned him up for a couple of years because they really got going. Well, I suspect, again, near the end, he very bitterly feels that the university at large has never acknowledged, uh, and I don't know what kind of acknowledgement he would have wanted ultimately. Yeah, because uh, there was a way in which, you know, uh, each step was, you know, like getting an assistant, a second person in the area, was treated with great delight, you know, with a marvel, with a great sort of sense of expansiveness, and then it sort of collapsed in on itself. Each one of these did, was not the end of the world. Yeah. Well, there was the show in 73 mm -hmm. of his work. Uh, oh, yeah. Part of that. That was, well, that too, I think that in a sense, I mean, you know, there's a way in which a show like that becomes, uh, since he'd spent at least two years getting, getting ready for it, uh, becomes of necessity a kind of anticlimax. It's though, my God, you know, why should I have a retrospective? I'm still young and bright and sharp and I've got lots of things to do. There right. could be a negative, you know, postpartum kind of yes. <laughs> Well, do you know anything about uh, the planned or projected catalog of that show? I mean, I the catalog of that show. I mean, I understand, I've seen this. You know, there's a, it was typeset. Yeah. Uh, and I've seen the Xerox of this. And I never uh, could figure out why it didn't appear or what the problem. No, was. I have no clue about that. That was in uh, yeah, that was in '73, and uh, by then I had uh, you know, I'd had a heart attack and spent a half a year in Africa, and had pretty well lost touch with mm. many of those things. It came, they came back in again shortly after that. But, uh, Did Henry have any particular interest in in your area? I mean, what you could tell him about what you were doing? 
beyond your interaction as just as colleagues without any special areas? Which I take it is primarily African, yeah. judging from the maps. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's African predominantly. Uh, no, not really. Uh, I mean, in, in the sense that uh, uh, I think he was interested in the objects, but I don't think that he saw a relate any you know, close relationship between his world and, and mine. Uh, certainly none that he that he ever expressed. I mean, it was uh, most of our conversations were based on my interest in his world, you know, and. Uh, As chairman and as colleague, I was much more interested in Henry than I think Henry was in Africa. And, uh, the um, the 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 thing about uh, uh, Henry in art history, which you perhaps ought to know, was that he got he would get very upset when um, art historians would want to learn how to take photographs. <laughs> because he didn't see photography as a tool of, of, of another discipline like art history, you know. And he would he would he would assign graduate students who you know had the right know-how to work with with, with uh, uh, art history students uh, to teach them how to control a camera and get adequate copy images, as it were, in, in museums or uh, and, and that sort of thing. But he felt very much that this was a misreading of his role. And I suspect that that's part of an old pattern of, just like Karl Marx is being misused by everybody's definition to teach this course to faculty wives, ceramics course to faculty wives, so Henry felt that he would be misused unless he screamed a lot. Yeah, it's the academic and, uh, uh, equivalent of, if you're, uh, say, you're a photographer and they say, gee, uh, you know, my, uh, my sister's getting married next week, uh, can you make it? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. But there's another one because I mean all of the people it, that that felt somewhat put upon uh, Alma Eicherman, who um, incidentally, if you, you perhaps should talk to us, she and Alma Eicherman, E I K E R M A N, who is uh, jewelry, the head of it. She's retiring now, and she was a great colleague of Henry's. And, and she's still teaching right still here, so she's still very much available. And just to get her about now, you know, there may be things that she was here longer. It's overlapped Henry. Uh, Karl Marx, for that matter, is, is in town. Karl is quite quiet, retiring, so you might not just get as much. Alma is a bit more forthright. And, um, if you can get her talking about what were the injustices of the early years, you'll get some sense of Henry's, um, uh, through her eyes, some sense of Henry and her own realization that they were being done in compared to the painters, painters and sculptors, that sort of thing. Um, they, um, uh, the great, you know, what, uh, cause from uh, perhaps 55 on was to try to get um, uh, more than one faculty member in every area. It was not a system at first. I, I formalized it as a goal and beat the, the deans with it, and it's gradually happened so that we now have, you know, second people in printmaking and design and jewelry and ceramics and photography, which all had, when I first came here, one person. And the one person was usually the elder. I mean, it was, you know, one that uh, wasn't just a case of trying to get somebody in because these people were going to retire, but getting somebody in because the pro they had built a program that deserved more faculty than to. one. Yeah, it was ripe. And uh, Alma fought that battle as hard as anyone else did. 
And Alma is another one, for example. The one thing in the world you will never go to Alma with is the idea of getting a ring repaired, for example, a broken, a broken pendant fixed or something like yeah. this, because they are you know, creative jewelers. This idea of creating the image, the separation between the jeweler downtown who will you know, repair a pendant to, uh, to creative uh, sculptural jewelry or whatever you want to call it, um, and this has been a running battle all of their lives, because the, the I think that the community basically saw them in the light of the craftsmen with the emphasis on craft rather than the emphasis on the artistic mm -hmm. dimension, design, and so forth. And um, but Alma, I think, might be very useful for you to talk to. Okay. Um, in the relationship between these historians and faculty. Henry Smith. When at uh, one point, I think in the early 60s, Henry uh, publishes uh, an outline teaching history of photography. And mm -hmm. Clearly, he's been very much active in, uh, at least in print, in yeah. uh, that aspect of, of the medium. Did he uh, teach, formally teach, history of photography? Yeah. Here, and how, uh, how did that relate well, to Well, uh, this was something that, that uh, there was a certain amount of. I can't, I'm not sure I remember much the details of it, but um, when I first came in, in the early 60s, um, there was a formal course taught by Karl Marx in the history of ceramics. There was a formal course occasionally taught by um, uh, Henry uh, Smith in, in, in photography. And um, there was not one for jewelry, though it was obviously done in class seminars and things that Alma did this, but she didn't have a sort of separate course for it. And uh, I know that I was helping, certainly not alone, champion among the art historians at a point where the people who were getting a master's degree had to have X number of hours of art history, a rule which has since been modified. But at that point, they had to have a certain like 12 hours of art history. And I remember, along with other faculties, members championing and pushing through the idea that the special courses that Henry taught could count as, as art history requirement because we were convinced that there was you know, a sensible view job and there was no way the art historians could teach the history of photography or the history of ceramics. We did have and still have a faculty member who was teaching the history of printmaking. So we didn't have that, that there was no question about because it was being taught by courts bonafide art historian. The history others, of prints. So. The history of prints, you yes, see. Sir. And uh, that was that was Tim who teaches Roman otherwise. But uh, so that the, the printmakers, Rudy, uh, did not have to, to teach that because it got taught once every two or three years by, uh, by Tim. But um, the others did, and it was very much a part of the ongoing thing that every sort of once in the life history of each graduate student, which means ideally once in every two years in those days. They've sort of pushed up to a three-year program now, but within the two years uh, that there would be one semester in which the history of photography would be taught uh, by Henry. And um, I've heard a few of the lectures. I've never attended the course as such. Um, and, um, uh, and I know that some few, very few, unfortunately, art history students would take the, take the course. That was a pretty rare sort of Mostly it was his Mostly it was a service course to his people because the art historians couldn't manage it, couldn't handle it. Mm -hmm. That was when, incidentally, he began building a collection of, personal collection of real prints and the 
slowly the uh, museum, which you realize the museum never really existed as an entity until 62. It was a dream of, of hopes before that, and there were pieces, oddments that were coming in as collection and were exhibited in the old art building. Uh -huh. uh, but there was no basis for having a museum in, in, in uh -huh. the full sense of the word. But with that, uh, again, from the, from the beginning, there had been some attention paid to um, uh, collecting photographs. Uh, I'm sure Henry wasn't happy with it because, again, because Hope was both director of the museum and head of department, he was more concerned with getting paintings than he was photographs. Uh -huh. But since Sally has come in, there's been a systematic kind of view of photography as a major part of the, of the collection. Yeah, we were looking at some of that. And it seems to be coming quite well. I mean, you know, I mean, really, really, you know, I mean, there's been a sort of reasonably sensible approach to it, I think. Yeah, well, it's certainly the, uh, I mean, as far as this one other man that I interviewed last year, Frederick Summer, you have the, uh -huh. you know, probably the best collection of his work yeah. <laughs> between New York and that the was, West Coast. That was Henry. Henry, Henry pushed, argued, and carried on about that to the point that he convinced us, us meaning in this case the museum board, uh, yeah, it's to, to acquire it. worth this. about 10 times what you paid for it too, <laughs> at this point. Um, Henry told us that would be the case. Yeah, well, he was Henry, right. incidentally, is if, if, you haven't, if you've come across Henry as um, economist. Yeah, that was, I was going to ask you about reading the Wall Street Journal, and I understand he's partial to Cadillacs and was very active in the credit union. He was and, one of uh, the major board members of the credit union years here, uh, you know, and I would suspect that, you know, in, in, in good part as a contributing member to its growth and success because he was very shrewd, I don't know about his own money, but he was very shrewd with, with the credit union's uh, money and policy and this sort of thing, you know, and, which was curious because it seemed, you know, this, um, well, I don't suppose it was role playing, that's unkind, but he was the the curmudgeon, the, the leftist, the anti-capitalist, uh, anti-bureaucrat kind of image. Almost anti-success in some Almost anti-success, and here he is, you know, being a major voice in the credit union. It came as a bit of a joke, yeah. you know. But, um, you know, Henry Smith, man of contradictions, I suppose. Yeah, that's, that's a good subtitle yeah. for the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I'm sure you're finding a lot of them that I'm probably unaware of, you know. Uh, um, in, I think it was 1962, uh, Henry Smith was very involved in, uh, in the other teaching conference on photography at uh, IU here. Do you know anything about that and what went into the planning of it? What was the year? I think it was 62 was the second one. This is like the founding of SPE and so Well, yeah. it was the one no. before that went up to Roger for me. Coincides with my arrival. I came in the fall of '62, so I had no um, uh, no awareness of this, except in the loosest sense. You know. You know. Okay. Well, I think we've uh, exhausted our questioning. And, uh, Can't think of anything else to volunteer at this point. Yeah, except I mean, there's he's, always he's uh, been a delight. Marvelous, <laughs> 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 probable screaming, even you know. Even in uh, you know the most violent fits, that, uh, in the arguments that one obviously gets with faculty members and chairman and that sort of thing, because, uh, there was in, in, in terms of that anecdote, where there was never anything personal about it. It was always a matter of what uh, of uh, principle that he was fighting. Uh, even when 
principles are somewhat self-destructive at times. So what do you do with all this? Well, the what I am, what I am. The preceding was an interview with Roy Sieber, S-I-E-B-E-R, a professor of art history at Indiana University and friend of Henry Holmes Smith, conducted by Jim McQuaid and Howard Bosson.